Okay, if you have Bibles with you today, please open up to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to take a little break from the Gospel of John today. Ooh, almost fell off the stool, that wouldn't have been good. Almost, uh, yeah, we're going to take a break from the Gospel of John today. But before I get to, to today's message, I just want, I want to say a couple other things. Um, my all-time favorite movie, if somebody told me you can only have you know, one DVD, what would it be? Is I love the movie Braveheart. I just love, is that your favorite movie too? I love that movie. It's, it, I love William Wallace as, as this passionate leader, right? His passion for freedom just inspires me. And been, I enjoyed it the first and the fifth and the twelfth time I've seen it. But every, t- but every once in a while, if I need inspiration, that's usually my go-to. I'll, I'll just watch it. And, and I'm just, I just so admire the passion for freedom depicted in the William Wallace character as portrayed in, in the movie Braveheart. I think it's because I'm a passionate man myself. Um, I, too, have a passion uh, for freedom. I mean, so much so, those are the two words that I have tattooed on my arms. I got passion on my left arm and, and freedom on my, on my right arm. Um, so I was asked a question recently. Um, somebody asked me if I was angry with the church and uh, if I was angry with you guys. And when the question was asked, I was genuinely perplexed. I was so stunned by the question that I'm not even sure if I answered it. It just, it just kind of hit me. I was like, I just kind of gasped, and I kind of went, my brain kind of went on pause. And, and um, I don't think I ever responded to them. But the question stuck with me <laughs> every day since. And so I just wanted to, wanted to say that I am I'm passionate about God. I am so on fire for God. And I'm passionate about his church. And apparently, um, from time to time, that passion has come out as anger. I didn't realize it, but apparently that's what's happened. And so from the bottom of my heart, I apologize. If I, when I have demonstrated my passion that it's been received as anger, that's wrong. It's just wrong. And I'm sorry, please. Uh, forgive me. I don't want to be, I don't ever want to portray myself as an angry spiritual father. Boy, it's just the opposite of what's in my heart. So for the times that I've done that, I am truly sorry. And for those of you, if you're here today and you have had to endure what felt like my wrath, oh my God, it just breaks my heart. So uh, please forgive me. And I'm going to absolutely, absolutely do my very best to let the passion come out without the anger. I want to shed light, not heat. So if I, or when I've shed heat instead of light, that is certainly not my intention, and so I apologize. Um, please know this. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad about you. <laughs> I'm passionately for you. And um, so I just wanted to say that. So on to today's uh, message. Last Sunday, we experienced uh, some manifestations Uh, in our service. Some of you were startled uh, by it. Others were confused. Some were even frightened. And a few of you were actually encouraged. Um, I spoke with some people after the service last week and with many of you throughout the week. And so I thought because of those conversations, I thought today would be a good time to take a break from the Gospel of John and just uh, take some time this morning to speak to you concerning 
manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So by way of introduction into that, let me say this. You're free. You are 100% absolutely free. Christ has set us free. Paul said it this way in Galatians 5.1, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You're free. Matter of fact, Jesus said it himself when he first came, when he started his ministry in Luke 4.19, it says that you know, Jesus was given a scroll from Isaiah 61, and one of the things he said, one of the purposes for which he came was to set captives free. You're free. He has set you free. And so I, I'm aware, especially throughout this week, that people in our church have different opinions concerning these manifestations. And so as I share today the information I do, I want you to know this. You absolutely don't have to agree with me. <laughs> it's, it's not a prerequisite. So please be free. Now, at the same time, I'm aware that God, in his infinite wisdom, in his absolute sovereignty, for whatever reason, on this day, God has placed me in this pulpit. And so my heart today is to give you what I have. I can only give you what I got. I'll give you the best of what I got today. So with all my experience, all my training, all my education concerning the things of the Spirit, God put this kid from Brooklyn in front of you today. <laughs> he could have put anybody else he wanted to. He could have had anybody else past his church. What did you guys have, 140 applicants, right? Boy, he had lots of options of other people he could have been here. But for, the, for today, for whatever reason, <laughs> you're stuck with me. So... So I ask you, please, um, keep an open mind and give consideration to the information I'm about to present. So with that uh, thought, I, I took some time this morning. I want to do a few things. Um, um, I want to give you some biblical and some historical examples of manifestations in, uh, by people who've been touched by the Spirit of God or the presence of God. I want to show a John Wimber video John Wimber was the founder of the Vineyard, the group that we're part of. Just a wonderful 11-minute video. And if time allows, I want to finish up with some personal experiences that I've had. Um, so there's going to be a lot of scripture today. Um, and so if you're one who likes to take notes, today might be a good day to take notes. You, you need to just write down the references so that you can uh, give them some consideration uh, later on. So... I need a sip of water. So on the Acts chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites... Residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, Figra, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, 
uh, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Jerusalem, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they said to one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Lord, I thank you for your word, for the truth that's in your word today. Give me all the grace I need today, O oh God, to communicate your truth to your people. Lord, I pray for hearts that are, that are fertile soil, ready and prepared to receive your word. So this is, this is the day of Pentecost. This is what some would call the birthday of the church. Common, you know, Pentecost is commonly referred to as as the birth of the church. The word itself means 50th day. And for Christians, it marks those 50 days between uh, Easter and Pentecost. So in short, this is what we see in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit shows up in an unusual, in a unique way. Verse 2 says, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. That would be unusual, right? doesn't say that wind blew through the windows. That's not what it says. It says the sound of. Imagine sitting in this room, all the windows closed, and suddenly you hear the sound of a, of a violent wind. That would be unusual. Verse 3 says, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Again, in anybody's book, that would be pretty unusual. It would be unique. And um, verse 4 says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, some people understood what was happening. Verse 11 says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. The, the verse 11 says that there are some people, even though this is unusual, that God in their midst, some people understood. Verse 13 makes it clear that there are others who didn't understand. They said, um, some, however, made fun of them and said they just had too much wine. <laughs> All right? So some thought you know, they were hearing the wonders of God, and some thought they were just looking at people who partied too much the night before, and it just kind of hung over till the next day at 9 o'clock in the morning. Verse 14 to 16, Peter explains that it's not the wine, but it's the promise from God being fulfilled. It's the promise of the Holy Spirit. 14 says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So God did a unique thing. Some people 
understood it, some people didn't understand it, and then the leader stepped up, Peter stepped up and said, let me explain to you what was going on. He's, Peter, Peter had revelation, people had, Peter had understanding in the moment to say, hey, listen to me guys, this is God. And then he goes on to quote the prophet Joel. So what does this say to us? The Holy Spirit can show up in extreme and in unique, unique ways. Some will understand. Others may not. Some may even think that sinful behavior is happening, that it's, that it's public drunkenness. Well, all the while, what's actually happening is a promise of God being fulfilled. So, so manifestations. So we see here in Acts chapter 2, at the very earliest stages of the church, the Holy Spirit moves on people, and it's been misunderstood. By, by other people. Let me ask you a question. Anybody in this room ever been around a drunk? You ever been in the presence of a drunk? I've been in the presence of a drunk. I know this one guy, and he, he's a pretty sober guy. He's just, he's just, you know, just really level most of the time. You know, straight shooter. But when, he, when he's had too much to drink, he's like, he loves everybody. He's affectionate. He wants to hang all over you. Wants to kiss you on the neck. And you're like, dude, you know, what's going on, you know? I mean, how, how do drunks behave? Sometimes they slur their words. They mumble. They stagger. They, they fall on the floor. Like my friend, they be overly affectionate. They laugh. They cry. They're messy. They can be disruptive. Man, they can be really disruptive. I'm thinking about when we had, my mother had passed away, we had a memorial service, and so my mother was a believer. And so we got some family members who followed Jesus, other family members not so much. And we're at my parents' house, and, and there's two big rooms. There's a dining room and a living room and with, a, with like folding doors, uh, sliding doors that go between them. And so in the living room is all the Christians, and I got this one friend of mine on his guitar, and we're just worshiping Jesus, remembering Mom. In the other room is the rest of my family members just getting absolutely sloshed, right? And every once in a while, somebody from that, from that room would come in this room. It was just crazy. So whatever these spirit-filled people were doing at 9 o'clock that morning, that fateful morning in Acts chapter 2, it wasn't... What was usually expected to happen at that time of day in that culture? Think about it. God could have released his Holy Spirit to the church any way he wanted to. Right? He's, not, he's limitless. He has all power, all authority. He could have made them glow in the dark. And that's how they would have known that these are the people that power the Holy Spirit. He could have turned them all into Iron Man and beams of light could have just come out of the palms of their hand. I'm thinking that would have been pretty cool. Right? He could have done it that way if he wanted to. Uh, they could have floated. I mean, I don't know. He could have done anything. He certainly could have chosen a more respectable, a more dignified way of sending his spirit. Instead of letting it be that in that culture, that people would look at it and say, oh, they're drunk, right? He didn't. Instead, he chose this unusual, and some might even say messy way of doing things. It wasn't a mistake. <laughs> it wasn't like God sent his Holy Spirit and somehow it tripped on the way and fell on these guys and, oops, this is what it looks like. Guys, his ways are not our ways. They're truly not our ways. I think this is a pretty good example of it. So, Based on all the conversations I had in the last week, I thought, you know what, it might be a good time for me to do some research. 
And I, and I want to offer to you some biblical examples of manifestations as they, what happens to people when they encounter the presence of God. And I want to give to you some historical uh, uh, references to what's happened in the past. And so, um, but first let me define the word manifestation. The word manifestation is used twice in the New Testament. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 4.2, referring to truth, and in 1 Corinthians 12.7, speaking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is what it says there. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now this word manifestation comes from a Greek root word meaning to make manifest or to make visible or known what's been hidden or unknown. It, the, what it, it brings it to the surface. It reveals it. It's like pulling back the curtain. This is what you see. Um, or it could mean to, you know, to be known by words, deeds, or in some other way. That's what, according to Strong's Concordance, the word manifestation means. Well, I can tell you what, the best definition I ever heard of the word manifest, manifestation came from John Wimber. I was at some conference a very long time ago, but it stuck with me all these years. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, he gave this great definition for, um, for manifestation. He called it the dancing hand of God. You take the word mani, which means hand, and fest, which means festival, and he said that it's, it's the happy hand. It's the, it's the dancing hand of God ministering to his people in the room. And so he touches them. I'm thinking, that, that's good. I, I like that. I like that, that word picture. So some, some biblical manifestations. They, I could give you tons and tons of scripture. I don't... I don't want to overload you, but I wanted to lay some kind of foundation. So I've got, I've got six different scripture verses on people falling when they encounter the presence of God. Anybody here ever been prayed for and actually fallen down because somebody laid hands on you and prayed for you? Okay, so maybe, maybe half of our people. Um, I've certainly had that experience. Somebody comes and lays hands on me, and the presence of God is so intense that you actually fall down. Some churches, it's so common, they have catchers. They have people who will stand behind you so that when you fall, you don't slam your head on the floor. I knew one church, it was such a common experience that when they, when they put carpeting in the church, they put extra cushioning. They did. <laughs> Thinking, this would be good for our people. But, but there is some biblical precedent for this. So it, Ezekiel had a vision of the Lord, and he falls on the ground. This is Ezekiel beginning in verse 128, it says, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, um, so that the radiance around him, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down. I heard the voice of one saying, he said to me, son of man, stand up on your feet, and I'll speak to you. And he spoke, and the Spirit came to me, and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Notice the text doesn't say that he bowed down, or that he kneeled down. It said that he, he fell down. Sometimes the presence of God is so overwhelming when it impacts our physical body, that he touches us and we fall. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 10, beginning in verse 7, I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I left alone, gazing at this great vision. 
He says, I had no strength left in me. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking to me, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. What, is that, what does that sound like to you? I'm thinking he did a face plant. I'm thinking he went, boom! And his face was in the dirt. This is a great vision. A hand touched me and he set, he set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I am now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. So here we see in Daniel, not only did he fall at the presence of God, but he trembled in the presence of God. Sometimes when the presence of God comes in an intense way, it has an impact on our physical body. We see that already on Ezekiel and Daniel. How about John in Revelation? Verse 1, 17 to 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. What does that mean? I fell at his feet as though dead. Some might want to interpret it and say, well, he just he saw the presence of God and in a, in a very proper manner laid prostrate before him. I don't think that's what the text is implying. I'm thinking it's like he got shot. Bam! He went down. That's what, He fell as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Why did God have to say to him, Do not be afraid? Because the presence of God is so overwhelming, that rocked his world, right? Do not be afraid. How about Saul on the road to Damascus? Acts chapter 9, while Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. That would be the presence of God. We could... We could Categorize. If we had a box to call the presence of God, we could say this light that's shown from heaven would go into that box, right? As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The presence of God came, Saul fell. Or how about the soldiers at the end of John 18? When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. Then Jesus said, when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus says, I am he. And here you have these soldiers, well-armed soldiers. They're coming to arrest him. All Jesus says is, I am he. And the power of his word has this impact on that whole company of soldiers. Boom. They fall to the ground. I don't know. If I'm one of them soldiers, I'm thinking, maybe I don't want to mess with this guy. <laughs> maybe we'll just leave him be. So that's, that's falling. 
I think there's, there's enough text there, and I don't think I'm taking any of this out of context. And sometimes the presence of God comes, and the impact upon the physical body is that people fall down. How about trembling and shaking? I looked up tremble. Tremble is used 69 times in Scripture. And it seems to me like trembling in the presence of the Lord seems like an appropriate response in some of these verses. Psalm 69.9, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Psalm 99.1, The Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits, upon, he sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. That's Psalm 114.7. Jeremiah 5.22 says, Should you not fear me, declares the Lord, should you not tremble in my presence? Could it be that there are times when the presence of God comes on us in one way or another that the most appropriate response is that we would shake or tremble before him? I don't know. How about Matthew 28 at the resurrection? There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. The gods were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. They shook and became like dead men. It sounds to me like there was shaking and falling that happened in, in that experience. Why? Because the presence of God was manifested in their midst and their bodies had a physical reaction to it. That happens sometimes. Okay, we've looked at falling and we looked at trembling. Please, do your own research and homework. Write down the different references I've given and look them up for yourself. Plus, there was the Daniel 10 verse I just read about, about trembling. How about being drunk? I love this verse from Jeremiah 23, 9. My heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I am like a drunken man, like a strong man overcome by wine because of the Lord and his holy words. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty black and white. It sounds like the, the, here's a prophet of God. God speaks to him and the, the impact that the, that the word of God has on this man of God is that he shakes down to his bones and he feels like he's drunk. He's so out of control that he's drunk. Why? Because of the Lord and his words. Like a strong man, I am like a drunken man, like a strong man overcome by wine. We know what that picture looks like, right? Why? Why did this happen to Jeremiah? Because of the Lord and his words. We also had our text in, in Acts chapter 2. You know, some, we don't have to read that one again, but um, some, however, made fun of them because, as if they'd had too much wine. The Spirit of God came. The Holy Spirit came to the church. It was the promise of God. It was what Jesus told the disciples to wait for. And they wait for it, and how does it come? It comes in such a way that when other people look at the Spirit of God on these people, they think, oh, they're just drunk. Sometimes what happens, there's an, an intoxicating effect that can manifest sometimes when we're touched by the presence of God. It's wonderful. All right, so this one doesn't go into drunkenness, but it was weird, and I thought I'd mention it. This is King Saul in 1 Samuel 19. So it's, so Saul went to uh, Naoth at Raham, but the Spirit of God came even on him. And he was walking along prophesying until he came to Naoth. 
he stripped off his garments, <laughs> and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all day and all night. And this is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets? I'm just thinking, suddenly, shaking isn't such a big deal, right? <laughs> I mean, God in his infinite mercy, if he made one of us strip naked and prophesy, that might, that might really be a big deal. I'm just saying. How about in Zechariah, in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, he goes mute. As a, as a, after an encounter with the presence of the Lord. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why, has, uh, why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. He, they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. There's more to that story, but I think it's fair to say he had a powerful encounter with the presence of God in the most holy place, and the result of that had an impact on his physical capabilities. God touched him, and he couldn't speak. I can tell you, I've had some experiences in the presence of the Lord, and sometimes it takes me days where I can't even talk about it. I'm so, I'm so emotionally overwhelmed. I can, I can function, but I feel like, I feel like I'm in a daze. I, I remember one particularly powerful experience. I won't go into the details of it now, but it took me days to be able even to tell Nadine. I usually just tell her everything right away. But it was like three days later, I finally sat down with my, my wife and my daughter. I said, guys, i got to tell you what God did to me. But it took, it took that long for me to, to recover from it, as it were. Thanks. How about power? I could, I could give you so many examples, but I know I'm giving a lot of scripture today. I'll just offer two. When the woman with the issue of blood touches the hem of Jesus' garment in Mark 5, chapter 5, verse 30, this is what happens. The verse says, At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? Right? The word here used for power is the word dunamis. It's where we get the English word dynamite. Many of you guys have probably heard lots of teaching on dunamis power. There was power on Jesus, and in some way, shape, or form, as the power went from him to bring healing to the person, he could feel the movement of that power. He knew that power had gone out for him. There was some, there was some transfer, and it happened in such a way that, that Jesus could identify it. The same word is used in... Dunamis is used in Luke chapter 5, 17. It says, One day Jesus was teaching, and, the Phar and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and, Jamer uh, uh, Judea and Jerusalem. And the dunamis and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. It says the power of God was with him. So my, this is my question. What does that power feel like? What does it feel like when the power of the Lord is there to heal the sick? Well, some of you guys have had this experience over your journey. It can feel like heat or tingling. Sometimes it feels like pins and needles on, or, or vibration or energy on your hands or on your face, sometimes you know, on your chest. Now, concerning this power in Luke 5.17, several commentators have described dunamis power this way. They described it as being filled with Electric potential, a sense of this electric potential. I can really identify with that, with that description. There are times where 
now, a lot of you guys have met with me one-on-one, and oftentimes after we, we have a meeting, I'll pray for you. And sometimes this is how I know when it's time to stop talking and time to stop, start praying. Because I can feel, I can feel the presence of the Lord on my hands. I can feel that tingling sensation on my hands, and I think to myself, oh, I think it's time to pray. And so when I sense that, when I feel power, for lack of a better term, when I feel this dunamis, well, that's a pretty good indication that it's time to pray. We've had ministry times here on Sunday mornings, and I've asked people questions, uh, trying to discern who should be part of the prayer team this morning. I say, who feels tingling on their hands? Hey, if your hands are hot, you're on team today. You know, if, you're, if the presence of the Lord is on your hands, well, we, let's get those hands on somebody else, right? Doesn't that make sense? So that's, that's, the, that's the biblical examples I wanted to give. I could probably come up with more. Maybe you can come up with others. But I think it's fair to say there's enough examples there that say sometimes when the presence of God comes, pe people have a different reaction in their body. They may shake, tremble, they may fall, they may look like they're drunk. I think all of those are legitimate in Scripture. Now, I didn't want to just give you Scripture. I also wanted to give you some examples of manifestations of the Spirit in church history. We're, we're part of... The, what, what part of the Bride of Christ? We are, we're part of, of the church, capital C. It's not just Charlottetown Community Church. And, and the church, this bride has been around for a couple of thousand years. It's, it's as if this has been this you know, 2,000-year relay race. And, and, and the baton has been passed to us, at least for this season of time. And we get to carry that baton, and then we'll, we'll pass it on to others. I think there's value in looking back over church history and say, hey, has God ever done this before? Have we ever seen manifestations like this before? So I want to give you examples from the great circuit rider Peter Cartwright, from, you know, just from giants in the faith like Charles Finney, John Wesley, and George Whitfield. So unusual manifestations like witnessed last week aren't new. I believe that there's historical precedent for it. In the Cambridge and Cumberland revivals, of 1800 and 1801, uh, Methodists had experienced a phenomenon that they referred to, quote-unquote, as the holy jerks. What does that sound like? I don't think it's that they're talking about these people's temperament. It's what happened in, in them. The Spirit of God touched them, oh, and they would jerk. So let me share a couple of paragraphs from, from Cartwright's autobiography. Um, you know, he's someone who was there, this famous Methodist circuit rider, evangelist Peter Cartwright. Um, and th this is the first paragraph. The predestinarians of almost all sorts put forth a mighty effort to stop the work of God. Just in the midst of our controversies on the subject of the powerful exercises among the people under preaching. So what does that sound like so far? Something happened, other people got upset, right? <laughs> a new exercise broke out among us called the jerks which was overwhelming in its effect upon the bodies and minds of people. No matter whether they were saints or sinners, they would be taken under a warm song or a sermon and seized with a convulsive, convulsive jerking all over, which they could not by any, possible, by any possibility avoid. And the more they resisted, the more they jerked. If they could not strive against it, if they would not strive against it and pray in good earnest, the jerking would usually abate. I have seen more than 500 persons jerking at one time 
in a large congregation. I like to be in that room. It would be nice to have some motion pictures of it, right? That would have been a sight to see. 500 people jerking under the presence of God. Most usually persons taken with the jerks to obtain relief, as they said, would rise up and dance. Some would run, <laughs> but could not get away. Some would resist. On such, the jerks were generally very severe. To see those proud young gentlemen and ladies dressed in their silks, jewelry, and prunella, whatever that is, from top to toe, take the jerks would often excite my, my wrist abilities. The first jerk or so, and you would see their fine bonnets, caps, and combs fly. And so sudden would be the jerking of the head that their long, loose hair would crack almost as loud as a wagoneer's whip. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That's just hilarious. Could you imagine? Somebody, somebody, shaking, somebody shaking so hard, it's like, boom. Watch their, watch their proper bonnets go flying off the head. At another point, Cartwright writes, and he laments at the loss of this manifestation, this phenomena in their midst. He writes, right here, I wish to say, when I consider the insurmountable disadvantages and difficulties that the early pioneer Methodist preachers labored under in spreading the gospel in these western wilds in the great valley of the Mississippi and contrasted disabilities which surrounded them on every hand with the glorious human advantages that are enjoyed by their present successors, it is confoundingly miraculous to me that our modern preachers could not preach better and do more good than they do. Many nights, in early times, the itinerant had to camp out without fire or food or man or beast. Our pocket Bible, hymn book, and the discipline uh, constituted our library. It is true, we could not, many of us, conjugate a verb or parse a sentence and murder the king's English almost every lick. But there was a divine unction attended the words preached and thousands fell under the almighty hand of God. And thus the Methodist Episcopal Church is planted firmly in the western wilderness, and many glorious signs have followed, and will follow to the end of time. Isn't that amazing? He's saying, man, look, in the beginning we weren't educated, we weren't sophisticated, we couldn't speak well. Sounds like Paul, right? He says, I don't come to you with eloquent words, but with demonstrations of power. And he says, those days were more effective than when we got all highfalutin, when we got all educated, we could conjugate verbs and we could speak the king's English properly. Right? Sometimes the presence of God's more than enough. There's a noted historian, Christian historian and author, Vincent Sennin, and he writes concerning how prevalent this phenomena was in the 1800s. He says, a responsible student of these phenomena has estimated that by 1805, over half of all Christians of Kentucky had exhibited... The these motor phenomena, I like that term, these motor phenomena, what is he saying? They had the jerks, they experienced in the jerks. He goes on to say that the revival spread from Kentucky to Tennessee, the Carolinas, to western Virginia, Georgia, reaching much of the south of the United States. He goes on to do document that the revival took place, revi revival took place at uh, the University of Georgia in 1800 and 1801. It says, in which students were often, quote unquote, smitten with the jerks and smoke and spoke in other tongues. This is what he says. They swooned away and lay for hours in the straw prepared for those smitten of the Lord. 
or they started suddenly to flee away and fell prostrate as if shot down by a sniper, or they took suddenly to jerking with apparently every muscle in their body until it seemed they would be torn to pieces or converted into marble, or they shouted and talked in other tongues. Wow. That's happened in our history, in this, in this giant relay race that's gone on for hundreds and hundreds of years. Sometimes the Spirit of God falls on people and their body reacts with jerks, with shouting, with falling. So he goes on to say that such phenomena have been present in almost every revival since the 1800s, no matter what denomination of doctrine. These traits had been called by some the Methodist fits. And you can find these quotes in his work if you want to do your own research. He wrote a book called The, the Holiness Pentecostal Tradition, Charismatic Movements in the 20, 20th Century. Look it up for yourself. Charles Finney. He experienced a mighty baptism in the Holy Spirit, which he said felt like waves of electricity. This is how he described it. Waves of electricity and waves of liquid, liquid love flowing over him. This was such a powerful experience for Fenny that he cried out. This is what he said, I shall die if these waves continue over me. Lord, I cannot bear any more. I can identify with that. There have been times that the intensity of the presence of the Lord when I spend time with him has been so great that I've, has to, I've had to ask Lord, Lord, please have mercy. Would you please stop? Your power on me is so great. It's so intense that I don't know if I can bear it in my body. And I've had to ask God, please stop. And you know what? He has. <laughs> in, his, in his kindness to me, in his great love for me. I, I remember one example in particular. Uh, I'm a young man. We're newly married. I'm working as a janitor in a junior high school in Brooklyn. And on my lunch hour, I'd go down into the basement. There was a room back behind the boiler room. I'd be all by myself. I'd spend my lunch hour just passionately crying out to God. I remember this one time, I am laying on my face before God, and his presence is so incredibly intense. I thought I was going to die. I said, Lord, you know, my prayer began this way. Give me more, Lord. Give me more. Give me more. And it ended, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. It's enough. Please stop. Please stop. Because I was so overwhelmed by his presence. There's sometimes he's given me visions, and it's so incredibly intense that I, I, just, I just jolt myself out of it because I can't bear it. I think if but for his kindness, but for his mercy, I would disintegrate. I would just evaporate because his, his presence could be so intense. But that's what love does, right? Love is self-limiting for the sake of another. We do that with our children. And I think God in his infinite mercy, when he allows us to experience him, it's self-limiting out of his great love for us. Otherwise, we, none of us would survive the experience. Following this experience, Finney went to get an elder for help to help him. Since he was so undone by the power of the experience, the elder of the church, was a, he describes it this way, was a most serious and grave man. As Finney was telling him how he felt, the man fell into the most spasmatic laughter. <laughs> it seemed as if it was impossible for him to keep from laughing from the bottom of his heart. So yeah, Finney has this amazing experience, and the Lord goes to one of the elders for help, and as he's sharing the experience with the elder, 
he begins to have a spasmodic episode and begins to laugh uncontrollably. And apparently this is a very sober, very serious individual. This wasn't his temperament. This wasn't what he was naturally given to. The presence of God just rocked his world. You can read about that in, in uh, Charles G. Finney, an autobiography, pages 20 and 21. Wesley, John Wesley, writes about a conversation he had with George Whitefield. Whitfield. On Saturday, George Whitfield and I discussed outward signs which had so often accompanied the inner work of God. I found his objections were, tre were chiefly grounded on the gross misrepresentations he heard concerning these facts. The next day, he had an opportunity of informing himself better, for no sooner had he begun to invite sinners to believe in Christ than four persons collapsed close to him. One of them lay without either sense or motion. A second trembled exceedingly. A third had strong convulsions over his entire body, but made no noise other than groans. <laughs> the fourth convulsed equally, convulsed equally and called upon the Lord with strong cries and tears. From this time, I trust we shall all allow God to carry on his work in the way that pleases him. <laughs> so here he has, Whitfield has this meeting after a conversation with Wesley, and these four people fall out under the power of God. They're on, they're on the ground, they're shaking, some are groaning, some are silent. God's doing different things on different people. I remember hearing uh, John Arnott, the pastor of, of the Toronto Vineyard. He says, in some of their meetings, they had some wild manifestations. And he said, well, how, and somebody asked him, how do you know what God's doing with who? He says, well, you have to be able to have some discernment. But he says, we can have four people on the ground, and, and they're all shaking, and they're all laughing. He said, the first one, God's bringing healing to their body. Second one, God's bringing healing to their soul. Third one, it's deliverance. He's just getting a demon out of them. He said, that fourth guy over there, he doesn't want to be left out, so he's mimicking the other three. <laughs> so... That's how it is sometimes, right? I appreciated that. Sometimes it takes practice, it takes experience, it takes discernment to be able to tell which one, which one is it, is this actually God doing it? And which is it just the poor soul who doesn't want to be left out and just want to be included? I remember being in one of the first times I went to Toronto. I was there with some friends of mine and we were up front and we were just hungry for God. A bunch of pastors, we jumped in a van from West Virginia, drove up to Toronto and they started praying for me. It never happened to me before or since, but I'm standing there, and I felt like Elvis Presley. I had this one leg that just wouldn't, wouldn't stop shaking. For the longest time, they prayed for me. I'm like, I, I'm supposed to be the guy driving the van. How are we going to get back? You know? God, God got us back. Okay, so something a little bit closer to home. I've given you some biblical examples of unusual manifestations. I've given you some historical uh, examples of, of unusual manifestations. We're, we're a Vineyard Church. Charlottetown Community Church is part of Vineyard Canada. This is the, this is the group, the family. This is the, the branch of the family tree. This is, this is the denomination that we're part of. John Wimber, one of the founding members of the Vineyard and, and its first uh, leader, uh, tells a story about the first time that the Holy Spirit came with power uh, upon the Vineyard. It was a Sunday night, May 11th. It was Mother's Day, uh, 1980. He invited a young man named Lonnie Frisbee that night to be the guest speaker. And now Lonnie, Lonnie was a very unusual man. Very gifted man, but he was unusual. He was on fire for God. But, no exaggeration, Lonnie walked around dressed like Jesus. He had long robes, and he had long hair and a beard. He was really into the whole looking like Jesus thing. So, you know, God, that was Lonnie Frisbee. 
So God uses the most unlikely people. So um, why don't we uh, take, it's about an 11-minute video, but it's wonderful. I think it would be really helpful for us as a vineyard church to hear from the founder of the vineyard of what happened to them the first time that the Holy Spirit came with power on one of their services. So could you play that video? The first time that the Lord Jesus Christ sent His Spirit in great power among us, I was fit to be tied for days. I was so angry, I was so upset, I wanted to get out of the ministry. I said, no way am I going to put up. What well, absurd what God did. <laughs> of course, I wasn't absolutely sure it was God. But even after I was convinced it was God, I had difficulty with it. But I wanted to know it. When God began moving among us, this particular night, we were having a church service, and in fact, that, that Sunday afternoon, I, I was coming out of the, the church service, it was Mother's Day, of all things, Mother's Day. Yeah, you think you'd be safe in church on Mother's Day? Well, I'm walking out of the church, and, and God says, tell that young man to preach tonight. Well, I'm not in the habit of just telling any old young man to preach in my church. And I said, and particularly that young man, because I heard you with a little strength, and I said, Lord, you want me to have him preach? And the Lord said very clearly to me, yes. So I went up to him, and I said, Lonnie, <laughs> would you like to preach tonight? And my church, he said, oh, yeah, I'm going to wait for the cat. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I'm telling you, I died a thousand deaths all afternoon. All afternoon, I agonized. I said, oh, God, you got me into it again. You got me into a mess. He's got a mess back to your cat. And the Lord said, when did you come to the church? I said, oh, that's right. So I went to church that night, and I, <laughs> we worshiped extra long. <laughs> I found a lot of announcements that needed to be made, but I, I, as long as I expected, it was still time. So he said, you know, I'll bite over my kid at his birthday party. And I think, oh, you know, he looks harmless enough. All right, come on up. So he comes up and he starts speaking, and I sit down over the side. And, uh, and I'm going to say, go, and he's great. You know what I mean? I'm thinking, what was I worried about? He goes, finally, he's giving his testimony, and it's half off to it, you know, like, I weave a little bit, you know, and he, and he you know, sold it a couple times, and, he, and he's got these great verses, and you're laughing, and he's having a wonderful time. I'm like, what was I worried about? This is great. You know, God, you're so good. And then he does the weirdest thing I've ever even heard of. <laughs> He says, you know, the church has been offending the Holy Spirit a long time, and uh, he's, he's quenched, but he's getting over it, and we're going to invite you to come and minister. Now, come, Holy Spirit, and wow! <laughs> the Spirit does come! And people start fighting. Well, first of all, he says, everybody 25 years and under come from an old life church, that's everybody! <laughs> He says, come on the spirit, and next thing I know, people are falling and bouncing here, and I'm laying up there talking like turkey. <laughs> and one kid, he falls. One kid, he falls, and the microphone falls with it. And it's laying right there in the face. And he's speaking in tongues, and I'm like, oh, 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 oh. I'm not going to tell about two minutes. I'm talking about 45 minutes. He's talking to that microphone. And we're waiting through by. 
microphone off and we can't get to him. And Ronnie is going like a banshee. You know, he's running for the top and raising his hands. And I'm thinking he's pushing people over. He's knocking them down. But he's not interrupting them. He's walking by them. They're going whack, whack. They're falling everywhere. And I'm, and I'm thinking, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Get him out of here. <laughs> and people in the back of the Bible are going to knock me out.
But I wasn't aware of the totality of the Jesus people movement until much after the movement had already began to climb. That would come as news to some of you. But <laughs> Jesus people movement's over. It's a new day now. And God's doing some new things. <laughs> and so, I, I recognized him in that, in that communication that, that I was in for a, a, an interesting time. Well, over the next few weeks and months, the phenomena continued to occur. Uh, often unrehearsed, often without any kind of bleeding from us, it was just happening in places. Uh, our young people began roaming the community in packs. We would see them sometimes in parking lots and in front of houses, raising their hands and praying for people and laughing them go. And over, that was in May. By, the, by September, we had baptized over 700 new converts. Evangelism was occurring everywhere. That was not, those were the ones we baptized. The best we could figure, there may have been as many as 1,700 new converts in that three and a half month period. But the ones that we baptized, the ones that came toward us and given involved in fellowship, was approximately 700. God was on the move. I had never seen evangelism like that. I had never known that there was that kind of power. The problem was, I didn't have any grid to sort it with. Nothing I've ever been taught in my educational background helped me to understand Holy Spirit God Wow and how that related to evangelism. How power and power signs and power activities could bring about conversion in the lives of individuals. But as I uh, began dialoguing with people, and keep in mind I do have some training as a sociologist, and so I'm used to measuring phenomena and, 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 uh, and looking at things from that perspective. And as I began dialoguing with various people that were visiting and uh, that had been ministered to during that period of time, I, I found it was a commonality. That regardless of what the, the uh, phenomenon was, whether they were slain in the spirit or rested in the spirit or fell and shook or stood and shook or sat and shook, or whether they shook violently or mildly, whether they had a, 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 an experience that was somewhat catatonic or whether they had some other kind of experience, there was a commonality of acceptance of the experience. No one I ever talked to that had had an experience was sorry. Yes. They all uniformly responded with, it was wonderful. Amen. I feel closer to God as a result of it. I love the Lord more as a result of it. I'm reading the Bible more now. I'm praying more now. I'm sharing more now. I'm more involved in the church and I'm more in love with the Lord than I've ever been as a result of that experience. Now, I don't know how those experiences bring that kind of result. All I know is reporting from the reverse house, that's what they all said. And so I had difficulty at this point in my life of resisting that kind of phenomenon when I see the results in the lives of the individual. Is that good? Yes. Isn't that helpful? So that's, that's us, guys. That's our spiritual heritage. That's the, that's the family tree. That's the line that, that we come from. This is our spiritual DNA. It's good. It really is God. It really is. It's just new for many of you. So what did Wimber experience? God showed up in an unusual way. Some people got upset. Even the pastor got upset. <laughs> right? 
It happens that way sometimes. But they could still be God. So, I have so much more uh, I can say, but maybe I'll save it for another time. This, this might be a, a good time to bring it to an end. Let's just go to the last slide. Let me, let me finish with... Uh, let me finish with the words of Jesus from Luke chapter 11. Be comforted with these words. Jesus says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Guys, we have a good dad. We have a really good dad. And He gives good gifts to His children. We could trust Him. We've, we've been praying. There's been a, a fresh new push for about two months now of asking God for more of His Holy Spirit. That's what we're asking for. I believe He's a good God. I really do. I believe that he gives good gifts to his children. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Let's pray. Let's pray, pray that dangerous prayer. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, would you minister to us? Would you minister to our hearts and to our minds? Lord, I pray that, I pray that you would move among us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that you would fill us with your Spirit. Lord, I pray that we would be men and women who live supernatural lives in that power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as a pastor of this church, I invite you to come and do it any way you want to. It's not my church. It's your church. Lord, we agree together today, this is your church. You're God. You're our Heavenly Father. Jesus, you are the Good Shepherd. Come and shepherd your sheep in life-giving ways. Do it, Lord. Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would expand our hearts, that you would stretch our minds. Do it, Lord. Increase our capacity for you. Increase our understanding of you. Lord, I pray for friends here today who feel... Um, confused or, or frightened or even angry, uh, that you would minister to them in a way that comforts them. Comfort them, oh God. Remind them of your goodness. Remind them of your love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Okay. Anybody else want to say something? Tom? No, I, I felt that the Lord...